The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa is for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship, give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. Please contact your healthcare provider to obtain treatment. This podcast is produced with caller interaction. Follow Dr. Mona Lisa on Facebook and Instagram to be a part of the next podcast taping. Discover your body's natural ability to heal. Welcome to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Have you noticed that there seems to be an epidemic in narcissism? that's inflicting people? Have you noticed that apparently narcissism is running rampant in our culture and people apparently are so afflicted by it and their loved ones that they're more concerned about vaccines against it or trying to get rid of loved ones with narcissism or family members that it consumes message boards or things on the web. If you're reading a lot about narcissism, you're not nuts because it seems to be rife in our culture affecting mind, body, and soul. There are intuitive reasons why we may be attracted to people who are self-absorbed, self-centered, especially if you identify yourself as being sensitive, hypersensitive, or intuitive. And you may note that it has affected your weight, your hormones, your energy, and of course, eventually, your mood and self-esteem. Today's show is about narcissistic relationships and weight problems and how to use medical intuition to maintain healthy metabolism, weight, and self-esteem. This is Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa Podcast and Mind Body Network, mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. My name is Dr. Mona Lisa. When I was growing up, we just said, that person is self-centered. What is wrong with them? We taught people how to share, how to not be selfish, or, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. I grew up with relatives who came over the boat from Portugal. And nobody went to a psychiatrist. Nobody went to therapy. They used plain English. My Aunt Evie was probably what you would call an armchair therapist. She had a sixth grade education. And she could pick out 
someone with a disordered personality at probably 100 feet. In the DSM 4, 5, 6, or 7, or whatever we're up to, people who have disordered personality or narcissism is a problem with development in one's brain, with dividing attention between one's own needs and one's somebody else's. And the brain, brain development, that's the right brain. It's balancing awareness of one's own feelings, someone else's, dividing attention between our own internal thoughts or feelings and someone else's. There are two basic people who have developmental problems with that. That means development meaning since you were born or in utero. There are people with autism or Asperger's, the so-called right brain disorder, that don't have very good right brain function. And you can measure it on a neuropsychological assessment. It's like a two-day test. It's done by a, by a board-certified neuropsychologist. In addition to having problems with distributed attention, traditional visual, spatial, three-dimensional skills, um, they also have trouble with being around other people or divided emotional attention. Being balancing awareness of their feelings and someone else's makes them very anxious. So they utilize their better functioning left brain by retreating into details, logic, words, details, rules. So people with autism make sense of socialization relationships by rules. Well, you know, you should be over there. You know, you, sh you shouldn't be thinking that. That's the way this should be. They think in terms of left brain rules and they handle their feelings by rules, order, organization. They have to have their books a certain way. They have to have uh, things ordered in line lists. They make great engineers, software um, engineers, and so on, where there are lots of numbers, orders, rules. But not so in the so-called professions where one person sits in one chair, another person sits in another chair, and you listen to someone else's emotions, and you repeat, uh-huh, uh-huh, tell me more about that. Your traditional therapist, uh, counselor, psychiatrist, and so on and so on. And in fact, people with autism and Asperger's have trouble interpreting emotion in a face, facial expression, the so-called right brain aprosodias. So it's not just they're in their own little world, they're selfish. It's not about that. It's truly anatomical developmental problem. There's another person, type of person, who has a developmental problem since they were born, or maybe in utero, where they also have trouble balancing awareness of their feelings and needs with somebody else's. The so-called narcissism personality disorder. Nowadays, everybody, if they don't like someone, they call them narcissistic. That's just not helpful, and it lacks um, 
it it just lacks any utility. That person's narcissistic, you know. It doesn't say anything. It's not descriptive because these days, if you don't like someone, you call them narcissistic. So a narcissistic personality disorder is a person who has a disordered thought, thinking, emotion, and behavior in a variety of realms, whether it's with the family, first center of medical intuition, second center of intimate relationships, financial situations, work environment, any situation. They simply... It's me first. They cannot balance their feelings with the feelings of a family, their feelings with the feelings of a relationship, their feelings with a child. It's me first. Other people's feelings, thoughts, and needs are in imposition. And the response is anger. Where autistic people get anxious. Where an autistic person will get anxious and retreat and hide, a narcissistic person will get angry and argue. And though some Asperger's and autistic people argue, it's out of anxiety of controlling one's environment. You have to be very careful when you throw around the narcissism word, word because it means you really don't understand who you're with and how you learn how to love them. We are all sharing this world. We all have to figure out how to share the space and how to love each other, no matter how annoying or lovable one can be. And that's a continuum because all of us have annoying or lovable qualities and that's in a continuum. So if that song, love the one you're with, it means love the one you're with, annoying or lovable they are. So if you find yourself being around people that you give, 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 they take, 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 you make yourself more available, available, and they seem more distant, aloof, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is my focus and attention always on them and not on me? In many ways, you have a problem with divided emotional attention. In many ways, you are the anti-narcissist because you too have a right brain disorder. It's the opposite of a narcissist. Instead of having trouble balancing awareness of yourself and someone else's, so it's me first, you have a problem with they first. That may have adapted to being in a family of origin or some other situation or trauma. It matters not. The problem is if you have a they first personality, you're then going to find a environment, people, career, and so on, where you feel more comfortable. For every pot, there is a lid. You're not going to look for other pots. You're going to look for lids. So if your focus and attention is on they, you're not going to be attracted to someone who is always attracted on someone, is always interested in someone else's problems because that will make you nervous. I once had dinner with somebody who was always focused on helping me, serving me. What do you want? Do you want some salt? Do you want some pepper? 
And I was, would they would get up. And I was like, oh, well, you know, do you have a beverage? Do you need a beverage? So the problem was for the first 20 minutes of what was supposed to be a meal, neither one of us was sitting down and eating anything. And I was saying, sit down, sit down. You're getting me annoyed. You're not sitting down and eating. And she said, well, neither are you. And I realized that we were focused on the other person, but not on ourselves. We were giver, 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 and not taker, taker, taker. And the problem with that is, is that we weren't getting along. And the reason why we we're getting along is we had, well, we had the wrong brains. It also showed you who we attracted more in a relationship. And that person's partner, I never got along with because that person's partner was very, very selfish, self-centered. So if you ask yourself, I am a narcissist magnet, or I am addicted to narcissists, help. You may have found yourself on that famous website, Quora. And Quora is where people write a lot about narcissism. You get this in your email box. Hi, my name is Mary, and I have a, you know, they have these terms now. It's not just good enough to have a narcissist. You have to have a covert narcissist. You have to have the malignant narcissist. Eventually, they'll have right-handed narcissist, left-handed narcissist, polka dot narcissist, um, you know, there's going to be a whole variety because it's not enough that it's malignant. It's going to be covert, overt, and so on and so on. Make believe and the world of blah, 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 blah. And the point is, is that they always write and go, how do I make the narcissist know that they are annoying? Well, the problem is they won't. And the question is, is why do you feel the need to rehabilitate the unrehabilitative because I love them. Then you ask yourself, why do you have the brain style of someone who wants to give, give, give to someone who's a take, take, taker? Why don't you, through plasticity, alter your brain to stop choosing somebody who is going to lead you to a pit of despair. The word relationship, one would hope, would involve mutuality, where sometimes you give, sometimes you take, or at least there's some give and take, some mutuality. Now, I just clapped a fly. There was a fly here. Last time I checked, flies do not have mutual relationships. They come after you. There may be blood involved. They want something from you, but they don't say, hi, I'm here. I will pay, pay rent in your house if you provide me, I don't know, vermin or something like that. No, flies are pests. They take and they do not give back. I have never heard anybody open the window, open the house and say, I'd like to have some flies here. No, you don't. They're vermin. They take, they do not give. But you'd be surprised in the doors and windows people open to have people who take, take, take. There must be some reason. Well, if you open your window and doors to pests, vermin, you will find that your body lets you know right away. You'll get these bug bites. Okay? Or you'll get itchy. Or you'll get irritable. Because all of a sudden you'll feel something nipping, nipping, nipping. And your attention will be focused on these little things around you. 
all over you. When you're just trying to focus on, I don't know, that that program on Netflix called You, where this guy is always obsessed with the other person, obsessed with the other person when he's really self-focused. And you're trying to pro- watch this program and probably play a video game at the same time. Maybe you're not like me, but you know, I'm just trying to get away from focusing on intuition. And next thing I know, I can't focus on these things because I am slapping my arms because of these pests that are distracting me. And there seems to me no payoff. Well, it's because I have some holes in my screen windows and there's some leaks. Do you have some leaks? What is the payoff to you? Some people have a scent on their skin. You can read about this. This is also on the web. The web is a plethora of information. They say some people attract pests, flies, insects, mosquitoes more than others. And some people attract these people who are selfish more than others. Well, we've already told you about if you're a giver. People who are narcissists are looking for someone who puts on a good platter. I'm telling you right now, if you have a sterile electron reactor at MIT, it doesn't collect flies because there's no food in there. There's not a a cafeteria. There's no food out. No one has left cat food on the floor. So flies aren't going to go in there. There's no food available. There's nothing to feed them. But if you're a person who gives, 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 and is focused on their needs, their needs, their needs, you are a screen window to someone who's a taker. You might as well put a Statue of Liberty sign on top of your roof. Oh, cut me, all you hungry and masses of narcissists. That's what I'm talking about. So there is a diagram that I drew. I found this out when I was looking at a Harvard. Now, there's a group of people who have an overly, uh, a very healthy sense of self-esteem. Very, very healthy self-esteem. And they were doing the neuropsychiatry of addiction. And they were showing the network. And as they were going through it, I went, son of a gun. If that's not the network of a person who's being obsessed with a substance, it's the same as the anatomy of being obsessed and getting hooked into a narcissist. What hooks us? So I wrote it down. The first thing is perception. They don't put alcohol in ugly uh, bottles. And they certainly, people who are narcissistic are charming, charismatic, attractive. There's something they do that is marketing. I've got a deal for you. Bright, charming. He, she walked into a party like they were walking into a yacht. Carly Simon, you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. So they put this kind of persona, and somehow it it hooks a visual, auditory, and body memory. They're like a chameleon. They know how to pull the switch because intuitively 
They know what's going to hook you. So do the cigarette companies, Joe Camel. They used to put Joe Camel because he looked cool. So they put a guy in jeans with the creases just in the right area, looking seductively from a billboard on the highway. Joe Camel. And they know exactly how to do it and put the taste in the ads for Rolling Stone for adolescents. And they're trying to stop it. Well, also, people know how to look like Joe or Joanna Cool to attract someone. It's like a Venus flytrap. Venus flytraps are not beige. They wear charming, charismatic, attractive colors. Look at me. Look at me. It's all about me, me, me. Only to have a well-meaning codependent fly go by and go, oh, are you not feeling good? Boom, they've got swallowed up. Let me take care of you. You seem to have a cold. Do you have chronic fatigue? Do you have long COVID? Swallowed up. That's right. You just got sucked in. So there's something about them that looks familiar, and they know how because they've they're educated. This is you're not their first rodeo. That's the hook. And hooks have been used in music to suck you in to listen to the music and get it to be number one and buy the record or the tape or whatever it is nowadays. It's a hook. It hooks you in. And the hook releases epinephrine from your adrenal gland. It makes you excited. It's dopamine. It makes you excited. Ventral tegmentum. It makes you excited like cocaine. Cocaine. What do you have for breakfast? Cocaine. Lunch. Cocaine. It's like you want more and more and more of that. That's that song, Andrea True Connection. In the 60s, how do you like your love? More, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? More, more, more. Somehow, that stimulating person, they're the life of the party. You want that. You want that. You want that. You don't want to focus on your old garbage. You want to focus over there. So as you're focusing over there, you're focusing over there, you're focusing over there, you can't focus on yourself. And that's the whole point. That's why they do it. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. And then, an area of your brain, the basal nuclei for addiction releases opiates and acetylcholine. You have clarity. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. You just feel clearer. It's like, oh my God, the sun and moon sets on this person. And so you find yourself focusing more and more on them. Everything they say, say feels like pearls of wisdom. It's like you've come home. What you don't realize is you have because they're like someone that you grew up with. But suffice it to say, so then next thing you know, 
that's connected to the this area in the posterior parietal lobe for divided attention. But you can't. You can't. It's a problem with divided attention. You can't divide attention between you and somebody else. It's just them. Because they've, in fact, hypnotized you. It's like a meditation. When you meditate, that area in the posterior parietal lobe, the right brain, you can't divide attention between you and somebody else outside of you. It's as if you and them are one. So you become one with them and you feel their feelings and emotions. And then you focus, focus, and then you get up in the morning, you go to bed in the morning. You eat with them, sleep with them. You entrain your entire body, your hypothalamus, your hormones, your sleep-wakefulness rhythm becomes entrained with them. And that's where you get the problem. Because your sun rises and sets on them because they become your sun, that you become, they become your sun. You, a planet, rotate around them. Uh-huh. Just like in our solar system, planets go around the sun. Your life revolves around this person. It's like they have a gravitational pull. And you plan everything in your life around them. They are the center of your universe. So, you know, you get out early so you can take them to the doctor. Or you go to work early so you can go to lunch with them. And you, you, it doesn't occur to you that they're not jerry-rigging their life to accommodate you. You were over-accommodating. They, they just don't even think about it. Until this starts to wear thin. And then you start to get the burnout. And you might start getting physical symptoms. Your sleep-wakefulness cycle gets warped. You start to get less deep sleep. Your immune system gets affected. Less sleep, gain weight. Your mood goes down. The hormones go out of whack. Many people gain weight because either of the sleep getting messed up with the deep sleep or because you carry more and more responsibility of the food, the groceries, the bills, so that you allow this person to quit their job, very common, so they can be happy in their work. You don't really plan it that way, but you get intuitively keyed into the fact that they're angry about work and you just assume let them quit their job so they'll be happy rather than feel their anger. And then you'll stay in a job that you don't like, even get a second job, just so that they can work with their creativity, their art or music. And if someone says, wait a minute now, I thought you were going to go back to school. And you're like, well, you know, John, he wasn't happy with his work at Home Depot or whatever he was working at, or, you know, apartment depot. And he he really wants to, you know, play the zither in a nightclub. It was part of a movie. And so I figured, you know what? Go with the zither. 
that was a movie with um, Shirley MacLaine. Her daughter had a weight problem and she always attracted selfish men. And one of them was a musician. And so she got an extra job. And she was afraid to tell her mother about her boyfriend who was selfish. Shirley McLean goes, so what's your boyfriend do for a living? She says, Ma, you always do this to me. And she says, no, just tell me what your boyfriend does for a living. Because these kinds of selfish people, they always carry less responsibility. You carry more and you'll tend to do the bulk of the work and then you'll gain weight. And she goes, Ma, he's a zither player. And Shirley McLean goes, there's such a thing as a zither player? And she goes, you always do this, Ma. You always knock my boyfriends to the curb. I'm changing it somehow. I don't have the words correct. The point of the matter is you will defend this person until the cows come home. As you give, 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 get sicker, 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 gain more and more weight. And then a few times that you ask them to show up for you, they'll go, it's always about your needs. What is it about my needs? And you'll bang your head going, are you kidding? What do you expect them to get? A cameo of parents and all of a sudden develop what you call empathy? And then you call them a covert narcissist because they seem so sensitive. They were a sensitive musician. These people never show up with a name tag that says, hi, my name is John. I'm a narcissist. And if they do, you applaud them. You say, oh my God, he realizes he's a narcissist. Then he's he's doing some deep work. No, they do that because it's part of their shtick. It sucks you in. I know somebody's daughter who did that. She goes, I know I'm a narcissist. I'm proud of it. Oh my God. She was narcissistic about being narcissistic. It's pathetic. You know, if you were narcissistic, you'd hide it from the worth. You would be so embarrassed. They don't have shame about it. They're proud of it. My point is, the problem is not that you are with a narcissist. The problem is not them. The problem is that you are an anti-narcissist. That you are attracted to being with someone who doesn't give. The problem is not changing them. The problem is helping you through plasticity develop receiving. And I want you to know that is not easy. It's very anxiety provoking. And if you have problems with anxiety, it's going to be almost the most difficult thing in the world. Because when someone gives to you, you have to give up control. Because who wants to owe somebody? Who wants to feel vulnerable? Who wants to feel that you need someone or dependent? I guarantee you, it's going to be difficult. And so it's much easier to give than to receive. Every holiday, I love giving gifts. I'll sit there and watch them open their presents. And they'll say, open your present. And I go, no, 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 no. Let me watch you open your present. It's selfish. I'm being selfish. You go, isn't that narcissistic? Let's just not get confusing. Maybe it is. I don't know. You have to have balance of receiving or giving. Self, non-self. You get the point. 
I'm Dr. Melissa, and we're talking about narcissistic relationship and weight problems. Shy, do you want a private reading? I'm going to now talk with one of the people on the podcast. If you want a private reading, go to www.drmonalisa.com, www.drmonalisa.com. If you want to know more about this podcast, subscribe, go to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa podcast on Healthy Living Intuitively, Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa podcast on mindbodyspirit.fm network or go to your favorite podcast network on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. And please know this forum is educational only and not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship, guide, give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. And remember, if you're in a serious relationship problem or have a serious physical problem and need to obtain treatment, go to the emergency room or go to your nearest health practitioner. Does anybody have a question? I just put the phone back on the hook because I took it off while I was talking. Um, hello, I have a question. How do you work on retraining your brain once you kind of realize that the, you, you have that special talent of being an anti-narcissist? Uh. Well, there's a couple of things. The few times that you may make a cameo appearance and let somebody help you, this is what happens. They disappoint you. They don't show up. They don't pick up the phone. And you get aggravated, right? Or you ask someone for help and they can't help you. And you get hurt. And so you say, the hell with them. The hell with them. I'm never going to take help or receive anything from anybody. Because that's the other thing about receiving. You become vulnerable. Because when you accept something from someone, then you ask for help when you need it. And they say no. You allow yourself to be vulnerable. It's just easier never to ask and never to receive and put yourself in a situation where you ever become dependent. Do you understand? Yes. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, probably a good number of times. So the way you have to do it is you have to assume You have to give the 50-50 or two-thirds ratio test. First of all, you have a broken picker. You'll tend to pick people who will never help. However, people are human. And not everybody can say yes, or people have busy lives. So if you're somebody who is an anti-narcissist, who always gives more than you take, then you build up an expectation that you wait, 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 and wait for that time that you really need help. 
and then you ask. And if they can't help you, then that's it. That's it. And that's called thin skin narcissism. Not that you're narcissistic personality disorder, but that means that your self-esteem is so frail that one person saying, no, that's it, you're done. The cafeteria is closed. You're not going to ask because you're... Um, so vulnerable that you can't take no. So what you have to do is you have to go into training like an athlete. And you have to ask for help for stupid things that don't you're not on the line for. Like um, not I have to go to the doctor's appointment. That's more vital. But something stupid like... Um, do you have an egg or do you have a cup of sugar? And you might already have one. But just for something stupid that you don't really need, that if they say no, you're not going to get upset because you already have it. Do you understand? So you're just going through the motions of asking and them saying yes or no. Do you get it? Are you there, Maria? Yes, yes, I get it. And then you kind of, that's also a tryout for that person, like a play. You find out how um, giveable they are, how much they are give versus take column. And if they give, then that's great. So then you know that person's available. Then you say back, remember now, you can call me if you need something. If they start to ask, ask, ask all the time, then you know they're more of a taker and not a giver. Then you try to train yourself with certain people to have reciprocities. They'll ask you for something, you give them something. And it's something that is expendable, like an apple or a cup of sugar or something that's not vital. So you're not saving it up for, I got to go to the emergency right now. Uh, I have a bladder infection. I feel like I'm going to die. Can you drive me? And they say, oh my God, I can't. I'm really sorry. My kid has a bar mitzvah or something like that. And then you feel you're furious that they said no, because you know you were there for them. When people are human, not everybody can drop everything like you would. Do you understand? So you have to give a person a two, three test meaning um, two times out of three, they were there for you. So you know they're a giver. Do you get it? That's how you practice. You practice first with things that aren't relevant and one that is relevant. But you have to be careful that you're not naming someone who's a narcissist who's not a narcissist. The other thing is if somebody, you find yourself in a relationship with someone who you're hooked into, and I mean hooked into, and you have a pattern, and it becomes more about them and less about you, and you end it, and you find yourself going back a lot, there's something that you need from that person that you never got from a parent. And they know it. And that's how they keep you that's how they keep using you. 
because they know how just enough to make you feel good, to medicate you, to then use you. Do you get it? Yes. Has that ever happened? Yes. Can you give me an example? Um, th- uh, the question one more time. I'm sorry. Let me, uh, let me give you an example. I have a friend. This always happens. This has cyclically happened over 25 years. She's fun. Fun, 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 fun. For two days. And then she'll start saying things to make me feel jealous. It's bizarre. She'll drop famous people's names. Honestly. She'll drop someone's name and then get on the phone and close the door. It's unbelievable. Or she will start, um, she'll do things on purpose. And then she will start to ask me um, for information for me to help her in a user way. Like, can I do this research for her? Can I do that for research for her? And at first I, I start to do it, but then the calls become more and more and more and more. And I find myself doing more and more because she's fun. And then finally, when I ask her for something, she gets mad. And I say, why? And she says, because whenever I do something for you, something always goes wrong. And then when you say something like, but how much do I do for you? And she'll say, but I've done a lot for you. And it goes crazy. It goes nuts. It goes absolutely spirals out of control. So then eventually in the middle of a crisis, I'll ask her for help and she'll say no. After all of that I've done for her, she'll say no. And then in the middle of the crisis, she'll say, how come you didn't ever help me on this? And I'll go nuts. So then I'll say, I'm not speaking to you and I'll hang up. A year and a half will go by and it will repeat itself. This has gone on and on for 25 years. But she knows it because she's going into therapy. And when she does something mean and she can be mean, she'll say, oh no, I did that again. Please don't stop talking to me. Because the last time you stopped talking with me was for two and a half years. She won't say, I'm sorry. She'll just say, please stop talking with me. She never says she's sorry. Are you following me? Yes. Never. Or she'll say, I'm sorry, but, or when you do that, but, um, last but not least, You might think I'm saying it's all about her. It isn't. Recently, I saw her on Instagram. I started getting hooked again. Oh, my God. I started doing again. It's me. She was talking, and there was something about her voice that was gravelly. And I said, there's something wrong with her health. I started getting sucked in. I said, there's something wrong with her health. She's sick. And it started hooking my intuition. 
And I went, I wonder what is wrong. And I started to get, so it went from orbital frontal, looking for the floor. Orbital frontal isn't just bonding, it's looking for the floor, to anterior cingulate, um, which is anxiety. It made me anxious for her. To uh, divided attention, I couldn't focus on anything. I started focusing on where could it be? And then it started to dribble wheel in my head. I couldn't get over it. Is it the husband? Is it this? Is it this, you know, the daughter? I kept going around and around to the point where it's almost an emotional tension from what's going on with me, meaning it's distracting from me. But in many ways, it's a hook. I get hooked in to the point where then I imagine myself picking up the phone and going, so what's the deal with the voice? I can see myself doing it. And I know what she'll say. She'll say, there's nothing wrong with my voice, but how are you? And then it will start in. Do you get it? Yes. Yes. Now you get it? Yes. Only to have it repeat. It will go on for like six months. Until next thing you know, I'll get the calls early in the morning. Can you do this? Can you read this? Can you do this? Can you research this? And then we go down the hill. When I ask for one thing, boom, and I'm furious and disappointed. She's even said, do you think I'm narcissistic? And I've said, no. Why? I don't know, because I don't think she'll be friends anymore with me. When clearly she is. I've gone into therapy over it. But yet, here we are again. Do you get it? Yes. Now you understand. Who's got the problem? Me. I still wonder about her voice. See, I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the key is, it's just the anatomy I described. But you have people typing in the... um. In the Quora, how do you get a covert narcissist to to realize they should come back to you and forgive, um, ask for forgiveness? Are you crazy? No. <laughs> it's a there will never be. There will never be a grand gesture. It's not that. It's that you wonder if they have a grand gesture. Why? What do right. they want? Right. Do you understand? Yes. What do they want and why? And if they don't do that, you often wonder, let me give you an example. I own cats. It occurs to me, my cats even come to me when they want something. And I love them for it. It's sick. Cats, by definition, are almost unilaterally narcissistic, with exception I have one that was raised by a Buddhist. <laughs> the one that's the most narcissistic is Loretta Lynn. I love her. I love it to pieces. I feel even guilty about calling her that way. It almost universally is when I'm getting ready for a podcast or anything else. Here we come. I want pellets. I want supplementation. I'm in the most key part of a reading. Oh my God. We come with the tail and the tail obliterates the zoom. Can't see them. Or we have the screaming during the recording. And if I get annoyed or irritable, I feel so guilty. That's what happens. It's almost like a reflex at the brainstem level. You feel so guilty because they don't feel guilt. They never feel guilty. 
She never feels guilty. They feel entitled. Entitlement is the epitome. But would I like her if she wasn't that way? I once had a cat, Emily Dickinson. Emily Flujbina Dickinson. Flujbina means little happiness in Portuguese. She was always cranky and irritable. This cat was always cranky and irritable. Cranky, 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 irritable. And middle to end life, she starts to act sweet. It was unnerving. Unnerving. I started getting anxious. So I took her to the vet. I said, fix her. And the vet goes, why? I said, something wrong with her. He said, why? I said, because she's acting sweet. That's probably your calling now from the um, the hereafter. Because <laughs> she's no longer with us. God rest her soul. He said, she's what? I said, she's acting sweet. It's not right. It's unnerving. It's given, It's given. I'm on my last nerve here. He said, well, how do you want me to fix her? I said, check everything. There's something wrong with her. She's acting nice. He checked her and she had a problem with her thyroid. He fixed her thyroid. She went back to being cranky and all was well. I tell people, they say, my mother's narcissistic. She's as narcissistic as... I said, you know what? She starts acting nice. Bring her to the emergency room. Give her a CAT scan. Something not right underneath the hood. Because it would be unnerving if she acted any other way. That's the way she is. If Louise Hay used to say, love yourself the way you are, right? Then this is the way this person was born. Friend of mine, she had a mother, God rest her soul, lovely. Bowers, Mrs. Bowers. And Mrs. Bowers was so sweet, is sweet. She's in heaven. She has these grandchildren. And I have a severe curvature. And sometimes when I have having a problem, I walk funny. So these kids being a little bit self-absorbed, I always use a bad word, went up to their grandmother. I don't know why these kids almost in college would say this. They'd say, why is Mona Lisa walk like Frankenstein? Will you put a rod up your ass and have, fuse your entire spine because you had childhood scoliosis? You're not going to actually walk like Nadia Comaneci, a Olympic gymnast, but with gold medals in the floor exercise. But suffice it to say, I walk a little stiff, okay? So they go to the grandmother and they say, why is Mona Lisa walk like Frankenstein? And Mrs. Bowers goes, leave her alone. That's the way Jesus made her. Okay. I learned from a therapist, a wonderful therapist, Jenny, in Nashville. She talks like this, very slow. And she said, you can love these people. You just don't have to love them like and have them on your lap. We can love these people the way they are. We just don't have to have them close to us. We can love them from afar. Do you understand? That's yeah. the way. So Mrs. Bowers would say, leave Mona Lisa alone. That's how Jesus made him. That's how Jesus made her. It felt so wonderful. to be. She was so sweet. you don't like these people because you want them to be different. You want them to be the Mount Everest of relationships. Despite this huge flaw, 
You want them to give you back to you. They can't. That's not who they are. Just like a kid who's nonverbal autism, you want them to take somehow their brain change and say, I love you. It doesn't happen that way. Mothers wait for years for their kid to say, I love you. When really, it's not, they're not wired for language the same way. It doesn't mean the same thing. And so when these people buy you a rose, you have no idea what's their angle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why are they buying you this? They just have an affair? Or, you know, are they guilty? Or, you know what I'm saying? What do they want? Or like Emily, what's wrong with them? They're different. You got to love them the way they are. First of all, because you have, you're not normal either. People who overgive are annoying too. They're smothering. You know what I mean? Yes. So love your neighborhood narcissist. <laughs> Probably the title of the show. You just don't have them on your lap. And find out why you're an anti-narcissist and stop it. And get yourself a good dialectic behavioral therapist or cognitive behavioral therapist and learn behavioral shaping or plasticity to stop doing that. I hope I have been of some help. Marie, you have a great time. There's obviously a problem with the link. What link did you, well, people are having problems with the links, but I don't know what it is. I can I can um I can email you what my philosophy is on that one if you want. You're a peach because I don't understand the link thing other than the fact that I have electrical issues, but that's been a problem since I was in utero. Okay. Okay. Anyway, you have a great day. I want to thank you for welcoming me into your day. This is Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Live right, do well, live brilliantly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.